0: Hey, good morning, Old Chapel Hill. Good morning. If we haven't met already, uh, my name is Tanner, and I'm going to be reading the uh, scripture for this morning. Today's passage comes from Luke 10, uh, verses 25-37. through 37. It says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: Amen. Hey, Tanner, real quick, buddy. Come here, bud. I just want to take this. I just was, as you were reading, man, I was just thinking about you, buddy, and just wanted to say I appreciate you. Appreciate um, hey, Tanner, you're, you're senior this year, buddy. I am, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So next is Atlanta, right? Yeah. 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 So, and I know we got a couple more months with you, but you know, you're know you right here, you're right now. I just thought if we, uh, if you didn't mind, man, if, if your church family pray for you oh, of right course, now. Yeah. yeah, if everybody wants to extend your hands, pray for Tanner as he about to embark on his next steps in life. And Lord, we just thank you for, uh, we just thank you for the amazing man that you've raised up, Lord, that you brought him to Chapel Hill to get an education. But Lord, you also brought him to this church community where we fall in love with him. We, we love him. We care for him, Lord. He, he loves you. Just to watch him praise you and worship you on Sundays is just so inspiring, God. We just ask you, Lord, to continue to work in his life, Lord, in his next steps, Lord, as he goes off to uh, you know, start a life outside of uh, UNC. Lord, God, you bless that in him. Lord, you guide his ways, and Lord, that You continue to grow and build in his life that people see the light of your love within him. Lord, as he goes and he loves, we're in Atlanta with the heart of Jesus, Father. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. All right. So like this is not a drill. This is not announcements. I know you're used to seeing me come up. (laughs) You didn't get a short message. Yes, you're stuck with me. <laughs> well, Tanner did say, so- "Oh, yeah, thank you, guy. I appreciate it." Yeah, I mean, you gotta know, like, if you do- if you don't see the hat, you know, I got the glasses. It- I'm preaching. It's this <laughs> different look in case you didn't recognize me. Uh, Tanner did such a great job reading that, probably one of the most uh, popular parables or stories Jesus ever told. But the truth is, though, that some of the best known stories are sometimes the hardest to understand especially the farther away we get in the context of the original storyteller. Uh, the word, or the term, the story of the Good Samaritan is somewhat passed into folklore and has succeeded in confusingly becoming something else. And this is not a, uh, a knock or put-down or in any ministry or parachurch organization that uses the term Samaritan, but uh, in some ways uh, the term itself has been watered down uh, or... Or uh, we might say somebody does something good for somebody. It's like, oh, you're being a good Samaritan. And in in the essence of the parable, this is true that it is a story about helping someone who is hurt or helping someone. But by kind of just demeaning it to that level or bringing that down to that level, it's watered it down enough to where we kind of removed all the Jesus from it. So this morning we get a chance to really dive in and to see that this story is actually a introduction into Jesus's revolutionary love, that our love for our neighbor and what that actually means is so much deeper than we could ever comprehend. And so this story, even though we've heard it a million times, or you've heard that term, even if you've never read the Bible, Jesus uses this in in context of an amazing conversation, which the story really doesn't go well, without the conversation, we're going to dive into this and learn about this revolutionary love that Jesus is talking about. This, this conversation, this story will lead us to what love requires in the eyes of Jesus. It highlights a lesson on radical stereotypes that a true neighbor is not limited by race, ethnicity, religion, past hurts, or even how we feel about each other. This story demonstrates what loving with the heart of Jesus Actually means as we say this as we as a church as a community, and we just we're going to feel very stretched and challenged today. Uh, There's maybe parts that may feel uncomfortable. I think that's kind of the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And some of it may be a little bit of a a duh, like yeah, I'm supposed to love everyone. But hopefully, you see in this story that it's not as easy. And what actually Jesus is requiring uh, with this kind of kind of love. Uh, so we'll start, let's go into this conversation. So we have to understand before we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have to understand why he told it. And It starts out on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Bef- I'm going to pause for a second before we keep going. Uh, let's look at what we, we've, uh, who we've been introduced here. So it says expert of the law here in the NIV. You may be reading in a different translation. It may say lawyer. Uh, if that's the case, if you're reading as a lawyer, I want you to kind of remove that um, Uh, that context of, of a lawyer today. What this is meaning is actually this is a man that is a, he's a professional religious, Jewish religious person. He understands the law better than most. He is obviously, as he's coming to test Jesus, he really thinks highly of himself. He may have been, uh, you know, had a title of like a scribe or even possibly even a Pharisee. But this this man, and this is important to understand who Jesus is talking to, really thinks highly of himself. He understands the law. He's here to test Jesus because he wants to show Jesus either as ignorant or find him in some sort of a a heresy that he can entrap him of breaking any laws of Torah. So there's a a bit of a passive-aggressive, Approach that this man is coming to Jesus with, and he um, and this is not done, This is not just because he wants to just to, just to be smarter, but this is also a result of the last uh, several couple years of Jesus's ministry, where he's talking about this new kingdom, and as we we talked about last month month in the Kingdom Come series, is this uh, revolutionary place that leads everything from the Messiah, from Jesus himself, and he is. Basically, his message has spurred conversations such as this: that uh, this man would need to challenge Jesus. So he goes on. He says, "Teacher," he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" You and I, if I was sitting in Jesus was actually in the room, like all ears, like, "Oh, what's he going to answer?" But this is not. He's not asking this question in a genuine way. He actually has an answer in his mind. He understands the Torah. Uh, describes as the way a Jewish person would reach eternal life is through sacrifice uh, of for their sins, going to temple, praying three times a day. There's these actions that they would have to do following the law of Torah that would lead them to eternal life. And what Jesus has been saying is like these things, All he's not erasing these things, but all these things lead to him. That he is this connecting point uh, to this action where he is as the Messiah, that he is the true salvation, that we turn to him to find this hope. And so we see this kind of wrestling action where this, uh, this man is trying to trap Jesus. And, and it kinda, I, I can just kind of use my imagination as we're in this little circle and this guy's confronting Jesus and his disciples, Jesus' disciples around. I can see like Peter or John in the, in the wing like, hey, it's a trap. It's a trap. Be careful. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Admiral Ackbar from Star Wars, right? He says, it's a trap. Yelling out, in his, but it's actually Peter or somebody yelling in the corner. So I had to sprinkle a little Star Wars in in case you missed Matt this morning. You know, there you go. Um, but this question of eternal life. So as, he, as he's asking this question, Jesus says he's so smart. So, so this, this, this lawyer who thinks he's a, he's a smart guy, um, that's probably our, our G-rated version of what we could call him, uh, this smart guy thinking he knows it all, he's going to entrap Jesus in this moment. Jesus takes him kind of like a martial arts movie, just takes his own momentum and just flips it right back on him and asks a question right back. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So these, this law that is placed here, Jesus is not arguing with this, he's not a yes. This is right. And this is something that would been, everybody in this circle, there are, there are Jewish men and women, all in this area, This this Jewish lawyer, Jesus is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. There's all this understanding and context that is being placed here. So these are laws that they have followed in the Torah. You can find uh, the love of God with all your mind, heart, body, and soul. You can find that actually written by Moses in Deuteronomy 6. And then you can also find the love your neighbor as yourself actually in Leviticus 19. And it's actually a great big list. It's very detailed. And so this would have been very much on the hearts and minds of everybody in this circle. And actually the, 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 the uh, Deuteronomy passage is also, it could be built as a prayer that uh, these men and women would pray this three times a day. So this is very, this idea of loving God and loving your neighbor is very ingrained in this conversation and then they're all agreeing upon it. And so uh, this, this just kind of, this conversation is setting a basis. This is where Jesus and the lawyer agree. Uh, and you actually see this passage in a couple other times in the Synoptic Gospels, where it's in Matthew and Mark, where uh, this is actually described as what we call the Great Commandment, uh, to love God and to love people. So this is what love requires. This is the requirement of love through the law, that our hearts are turned outward, that we look to the Creator just as, as we love the Creator just as we love His creation, that we see both the joy, love, and happiness through creation, but just as much as the sadness and the pain through the eyes of creation to see the Creator, that there's a true connection here. So when our heart, but the difference is that's when our hearts are outward. And that's what the idea of this law is to put our hearts outward, to see out beyond ourselves. But when our hearts are turned inward, we only see what, how the world and everything interacts, it affects me. We become closed, we become blinded, and we can't even see Jesus, and which is a, is, is a great travesty. So how we treat others directly impacts and how we love God. Uh, One of my my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity kind of describes it this way. He says, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ and you will find him and everything else thrown in. The combination of loving God and loving his creation makes perfect sense in this way. One cannot relate to God rela- without relating to his creation. So how do these things connect? I'm going to use the screen here, kind of a bit of a, a pseudo whiteboard. Matt brought the whiteboard last week. Didn't want to overburden you guys with two whiteboards. So we're going to walk through this. Uh, so we see in this law, this requirement of love, this, this first part of loving God. Uh, we kind of tend, even today, but even then, uh, this depiction of God is like up. Uh, a lot of that comes from the the uh, way, dis- way the heavens are described in Genesis and creation. So we're going to look at, like, when we love God, it's kind of a vertical love. But when we love each other, we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's more of a, of a horizontal, this flat uh, area where it's like you, you can, when you, if you're trying to look straight ahead and up at the same time, it's, it's impossible. So how do these two things connect? And that's why we needed, from the very beginning when man fell, from the moment of sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that he would restore this. And even though, even, you know, Noah, who God found favor in to, to, to carry on humanity, still failed. Brought in Moses, who still failed. David, who still failed. Creation, his creation continually fails him over and over. So why does God still love? Because he has Jesus right at the center that we see Jesus right there, and so we can look to him, so we can look as God as a man, both fully man and fully God, in this place that we just look to him and we can both look up and look out at the exact same time, staring straight at him. And that's why we needed that Messiah, to be able to make that connection between these two, to make this law, this requirement of law, even work. But the next part of context we really need to understand what they're talking about in this law is what is this love that they're talking about? What kind of love? And, and, and this is important in our day and age because when we relate love, we hear that term. It's very confusing in the English language. It's, I could say, I love, I can love this carpet or I can love my wife. You know, these two things are very two different things. It's kind of confusing. We also look at love as something that happens to us. It's very impactful on our emotions. So as we use the term, like I fell in love or I fell out of love. Or I used to love that person until they did this, and now I can't love them anymore. We're very reaction- love is a very reactionary word to our emotions and our feelings. This is not the love that both Jesus and this lawyer are both in agreement with that they're talking about. They're, this love that they're talking about is a choice. It's a choice of love, and it's uh, this is how it's understood and described in Scripture that I choose to love you. So then, as Jesus or as God through history, when all these people have failed, His creation have failed Him, He chose to continue His promise and to keep true because he chose to continue to love versus allowing the impact of our choices and our failures to remove that love from creation. So this is this concept of love that they're both working with and understanding, and it's something that we need to understand today for even to make this even work about loving our neighbor. Uh, so, it's simply put, Jesus sees love as an action in which we can choose to see the well-being of another person as a priority regardless of what they do to us, or how we think about them, how they treat us, or how they make us feel. It's a no-strings-attached love that changes everything, and then we can look past and love someone even when it is at its hardest. So all this context leads to this question. The lawyer is still thinking he's smarter, and he wants to uh, continue to challenge Jesus, but sets Jesus up right for the perfect Uh, Move to just change the world. Where he says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Don't run past this part of who is my neighbor. Because he is essentially communicating, the lawyer is not, he's not saying who is our neighbor, how do we love our neighbor, is who is my neighbor. He is essentially saying there is my neighbor, and there's not my neighbor. There's this invisible lines that has been created around this statement of saying, who counts? Who matters? And who should receive my love and who should not? And there's this—it it's not unlike today where we choose to create boundaries around people. And for various reasons, this man is doing the exact same thing. But Jesus rejects this. And he answers with him with an amazing story, just like Jesus would, right? So he says... And you can see them all kind of sitting around, like, okay, the, the challenge has been laid. How are you going to answer this? And here's Jesus. He says, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell to the hands of the robber, he, he they were stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead." Before we move on, I would like to just uh, kind of give you a picture here. Again, I think the context of what is happening here is very, very, very important. Um, so Jesus is automatically really grabbing into the minds and the context and experiences of all of those that are hearing this story in this moment when he actually describes the location. So he's saying they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is actually a very real road that they're picturing in their head where this man was robbed. They see the danger in it. Actually, I've added a couple of slides here. This is, these are some pictures of modern day of this exact same road that they were on. You see how it winds down. It's like 32,000 feet above sea level to the ground between this road. It's treacherous. It's rocky. It's not hard for them to imagine, you know, somebody being robbed or beaten. Maybe even somebody in that that context is thinking, well, yeah, that happened to my uncle Shmuel last week or whoever. You know, actually it's probably a real connection to this story. So he's grasping at their emotions through this context. Then he goes on, and this is important because of the next part, he's doing the same thing again. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled sorry here Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So now we have these three characters that Jesus has introduced. I guess this is uh, maybe the first version of "The Three Men walking to a Bar" story. You have got, you got a priest, you have a Levite, and you have a Samaritan, right? Um, But these characters are very important, especially in the hearers of this original story. So first they're hearing uh, this Levite and the priest, and both of these men are religious leaders. So again, we're going back to the law, all right? The the law that we established that everybody understands, these men would have known it front and back. They're preaching it, they're living it, they're breathing it. They know this law, they know they should help their neighbor. There's also another part of the law that... Um, we could say we could give them an excuse for but I think it's not lost in the concept of of people understanding the story at the time that they lived in a time where purity they had a heavy purity culture uh, that it was actually if they touched uh, anybody would touch something dead or get blood or dirty on them they would they would be ritually unclean at that moment and it would take a seven-day ritual to be able to become a clean person again. So especially for these two men, that that was their job to help with the sacrifices of sins for others. They couldn't do their job for a week. So it would have been a burden or a sacrifice to help this man. So that in this moment, Jesus is illustrating, they made a choice not to make this sacrifice or this deal with this inconvenience to help this man on the side of the road, where this was another Jewish man. We have to think about that. He's in a Jewish setting. Is Jesus is a Jew. Uh, so is the lawyer, and such. They're, they're anticipating that this man on the side of the road is a Jew. So why wouldn't they help? This is probably going through the minds of, of the hearers here. Like, well, they should help, but then there's this reason. Maybe they want to be unclean. You know, maybe they want to be robbed again. There's a lot of things that gives a reason why they wouldn't do it. Jesus is planting this in. And also, you got to think, you might be taking a little jab. This, the lawyer that we're talking to here would fall into this category. But then, Jesus brings in this character, this most unconventional person, this controversial, controversial character as a Samaritan comes in. He has pity. He's the unlikely hero. And to give some context of why this is so important, and I can see probably in the in the room, like in the area where they're talking, there you can see some booze, booze, Samaritan, or you know, spitting. Ah, oh, you know, like I, I, I hate those guys. I hate those people. So there's a reason for this if if you're unaware. So the Samaritans and the Jewish people live generally in the same area. Uh, Many, many years before the context of this story, uh, the Northern Kingdom of Israel, uh, this is where Samaria is, uh, they were taken over and they started to intermarry with Gentiles, people that are non-Jewish. They started to take on Um, the religious pagan rituals of that day. They kind of started blending it with Jewish rituals. And uh, they also occupied a similar area. So this kind of uh, stemming hate between each other, this uh, they're the other people, started to build for years. And it built to a point where they were both fighting over the same area. This is not uh, unlike what we see even today with uh, Jewish people in Israel, along with Palestinians, where there's an argument over who is inherited in that land, that when they interact, is often very violent. This is, so just kind of painting the picture of why bringing up a Samaritan as a hero is revolutionary, and there's Perkin, the ears of everybody that's listening, the eyebrows are being raised. Why is this man the hero? because they're so racially and religiously different from each other that they could not see this as a hero and probably are starting to get mad at Jesus. And maybe even some of his disciples are probably like, whoa, whoa, where are you going with this? But Jesus says, and he, goes, and he expounds, and this is very important, these details. He says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the band on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return. I will re- reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So let's just look for a second here. and I know this is a story, but we had the two religious leaders unwilling to make the sacrifices needing to help their neighbor. But then we have this Samaritan who had every reason to pass by. I think if Jesus said, well, then the Samaritan came and passed by, Probably everybody in the, in the area would have been like, well, yeah, that makes sense. The Samaritan would do that. And maybe even respect it. Like, yeah, you don't interact. Like, he shouldn't interact. But what does the Samaritan do here in this story? He goes up, not just above and beyond, but he goes beyond his own safety. This man was just robbed. He could get robbed while he's carrying him. He could be uh, accused of actually beating him himself by carrying him on his donkey. He used his best resources, the oil and wine. These things are not cheap. He used them to heal him. The idea of, of adding the two coins, that, that is essentially, a, each coin is a day's pay, a day's wage. He spent his living, his, his money on this man and left it basically an open tab at the innkeeper to heal him. Jesus is, is laying out this picture of unconditional love from the most un- or most uh, controversial hero. The people that are most opposite gets the most love. I have to, just using my imagination for a moment, if you, if you don't will, kind of join me. Uh, I can imagine as a Samaritan is bandaging his wounds, that he may be thinking back like, yeah, I remember that time when I was a young boy and my, uh, my mother and I were traveling and we needed some Uh, some water and we went to this well that was traditionally Jewish and they wouldn't let us have any as he's bandaging the wounds. Or maybe he's imagining as uh, he's pouring the oil on his skin, he's thinking about the time where he had rocks thrown at him because he was a Samaritan and he was in a Jewish area. Or maybe as he's pouring the fine wine, to disinfect the wounds he's thinking about as he's a child trying to play with some young boys he met on the road. But Then his father says, no, no, we don't associate with them. We don't give them what we need. And yet this man does this in spite of those feelings. So then Jesus asks, which of these do you think was the neighbor who fell and, who fell in the hands of the robbers? So Jesus essentially changes the question to, sorry, my notes went flying here. (laughs) He changes the question to, from who is my neighbor? So now the Samaritan asks, can you recognize the hated Samaritan as your neighbor? If you can't, you might be left for dead. This rocks, I can see the room getting really quiet and trying to figure out what just happened. Being challenged in how we love. And challenged in, you hear me? Challenged in how we treat our neighbor. So this is what love requires. No boundaries to race, religion, different points of view. A place of birth, a choice of peop- choices people make. The differences they have. That any human made in the image of God is th- your neighbor. So the expert had no choice But to reply, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him to go do likewise. Well, we lost some battery. Sorry about that. Hopefully, those of you who Hope were able to hear that. So again, uh, the lawyer had no choice but to answer it in that way. So Jesus rejects this term of other. He obliterates any invisible lines of love restrictions that has created, he removes the term of other. There is no my neighbor and not my neighbor. We are all neighbors in the eyes of God, and this is what love requires. When we see someone else, for us, when we see someone else as an other, then we are already defeated. We are already, our hearts are turned inward, and we are missing the point. So I want to ask you today, who is your other today? Who is it that you were struggling to see his love. And, and we live in a very unique time, or at least unique to us in our lifetime, where the, amount, the, the lines of division are so wide and so deep and everywhere around us, from politics to policies, to even how someone uh, participated or interacted with a pandemic, to our families. We're all surrounded by these lines. Have you ever been in a conversation with a new person? You're like, man, this person's really cool. And then they say that one thing, that we're, kind of crosses that invisible line, we're like, ooh, I thought you were cool, and, I, and now I'm not sure, and, and we we're kind of wrestling internally. I know I have. I mean, even the last few years, three, you know, four or five years, even within my own family, it has been challenging to interact. It's been challenging to not want to pass by in certain moments, but we must know that on the other side of those invisible lines, there are people that are wounded, and they are hurt, they are bleeding, they need help. They're broken. And even though this is what the the story of the Good Samaritan is telling us, when we love with the heart of Jesus, we have to look past those lines and love in spite of how they make us feel, in spite of how they challenge us, in spite of what they do to us. It's challenging. It's hard. It's not easy. And, And just in the same context of this lawyer and the disciples hearing this story, it was challenging to hear of a Samaritan what is challenging for us today to see the same thing. So what does love require of us? Requires nothing short of anything but the cross. That's what Jesus is communicating, that it is for all of us to do. And as Jesus turned the question on the lawyer of, can you see the Samaritan's face in your neighbor? I'm going to ask today, can you see the face of your enemy in your neighbor today? Can you see the face of someone who is a different racially than you? You see the face of a white person or a black person or Asian, Mexican, Latino. Can you see their, their face in your neighbor? Can you see someone who is Islam as the face of your neighbor? Can you see someone as LGBTQ as your neighbor? And these are the challenges that just as much as it stirs in the hearts of the people that heard this original story, it stirs in our hearts today. And I think it's something that we always should be recognizing and looking in our own hearts for. That this is a choice of love that Jesus is talking about. This is the great commandment to love in spite of how people make us feel. I love this quote by a pastor. uh, His name is Richard Foster. He goes this way. He says, When we try to love God without loving our neighbor, we cut ourselves off from the pulmonary artery of God. God's love demands expression. It cannot stand alone. It is how God breathes, if you will. Just as our blood must flow from our hearts to our lungs, so God, God's love must flow out to creation. Therefore, if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we would, we will be drawn to the necessity to our neighbor. As we close today, we're about to partake in the table. We're about to Look into, uh, remember this moment of when Jesus, the night before he was arrested and taken into captivity and bore that cross for our sins. I'm just going to ask you today as we break, you take the bread, just to think about someone maybe that might find in in your heart as other. Maybe it's a family member you've been struggling with or somebody at work or somebody you interact with. I want you to picture them in your mind as you're taking the body that was broken for you, also as Jesus died for them as well. And as we take the cup and we recognize that this represents the blood shed for Jesus, this is also the blood shed for those that don't look like us, don't worship like us, they don't talk, say our language, they don't know, understand the cultures that we have. That that was done for them. So just as we remember the cross and we remember what Jesus did, remember who he did it for. He did it for everyone, including you. So we're going to come down. You're going to come down, and Valerie and um, Annalise are over here, and they're going to serve you communion. And um, you're going to come around. You're going to take the uh, bread and the juice, and you're going to come around the front here, and you're going to come back down to your seats. And you feel free to partake there. Thank you all so much. Go and love Chapel Hill, or wherever you are with the heart of Jesus.